Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Okay, get comfortable. This is a deep dive. What do we do with the CBC? I know everybody is asking that question always in this country, but right now it actually might have an impact to figure out some answers. The government right now is getting ready to make big changes, possibly. They commissioned a huge research project that dealt directly with this issue. They did a national public consultation. They are now processing everything that came in, everything that was said and written, And then they will issue policy and everything is on the table. The Broadcasting Act, the CBC's mandate, all of this can be changed. They could scrap the CBC entirely or they could double the CBC's funding. They will likely do neither of those things, but what will they do? Maybe, just maybe, what the government decides to do with the CBC will be informed by what you are about to hear This discussion that I took part in in Vancouver earlier this month, this was part of the formal 
process. What you're going to hear is a live event commissioned by the Media Math Project, the aforementioned research project that the government commissioned from the Public Policy Forum think tank. I'm going to go ahead and say that this was the liveliest think tank discussion that you're going to hear this whole year. We went long, but we had it out in full. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Nick Iwanishin, Braden Doan, Christian Listrom, the Global Elections Podcast, Jason Manchester, Megan Williams, Evan Hughes, Shannon Blake, and Cody Bonderchuk. Cody, why did you decide to be awesome? Because after a year of reading and listening to Canada Land, I realized the necessary reality of funding to fuel an independent media organization. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars And I I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks.com. Why not resolve right now, get ahead of the resolution thing, and resolve the 2017 will be the year that you get your shit together. 2017 will be the year when you invoice properly like a real live grown-up person, like a business that has an accounting department even though you can't afford an accounting department. That's what FreshBooks is. It is accounting for small businesses and entrepreneurs and freelancers that makes your invoices look as good as anybody's out there. You can track your hours. You can collect your receipts. You can see when people view your invoice and you will get paid quicker. Plus, you'll save a lot of time that you can put towards your actual business. So look, start this now and you'll have a 30-day window to try it out and see if this is what you want to stick with. And then all of 2017, that's when your books will start to be covered by FreshBooks. It'll make everything very easy come tax time. Go right now and have a look. They rebuilt the whole thing. It's gorgeous. FreshBooks.com slash CanadaLand. When you become a customer, tell them that CanadaLand sent you. 
This episode is also brought to you by ShipStation. It is not too late, people. If you sell stuff online during this holiday season, before you are drowning in orders that you cannot fill because they are on a million different platforms, because they're on Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, all the other places where you're selling your stuff, sign up for ShipStation and they will suck all of that order data information into one handy platform. They will figure out the best way for you to actually fulfill those orders. They are compatible with FedEx and UPS and Canada Post. They'll calculate the cheapest option. They will spit out shipping labels that work with all those different carriers. And they will do all of that in the time that it has just taken me to tell you what they do. Okay, right now, try ShipStation for free for 30 days, and our listeners will get a special bonus on top of that, but only if you use this offer code, okay? Go to ShipStation.ca. There's a microphone at the top of the page. Use the code CANADALAND for this special offer. That's ShipStation.ca. Enter CANADALAND. All right. Welcome, everyone. Uh, so my name is Taylor Owen. Uh, I'm a professor of digital media and global affairs at the University of British Columbia. And it's, uh, it's my pleasure to welcome you tonight to this live taping of Jesse Brown's podcast. <laughs> right on cue, Jesse. <laughs> um, so for, for the past six months, I've had the opportunity to work with Ed Greenspan, who's the president of the uh, Public Policy Forum, former editor of the Globe and Mail, on a report on the state of journalism in Canada. Should the role of the public broadcaster be reimagined? So we're incredibly lucky to be joined by a pretty amazing group to have this conversation. Sue Gardner is recently former uh, executive director of the Wikimedia Foundation, which she ran for seven years, and was one of the original leaders of cbc.ca when it was founded. Uh, Stephen Marr is a seasoned national investigative journalist who has recently returned to Canada from a Harvard Neiman Foundation Fellowship, where he presumably thought big thoughts about the state of journalism, um, and is now the executive editor of iPolitics.ca, an independent news outlet focused on Canadian politics based in Ottawa. Rachel Nixon is currently a digital strategist at Discourse Media, a media organization in Vancouver. Uh, she was previously the editor-in-chief of MSN News and Sports in the United States, and prior to that was the senior director of digital media for CBC News, and held a range of senior roles at bbcnews.com. And finally, Jesse Brown is the host and publisher of Canada Land, a crowdfunded news site that had a remarkable impact on, has had a remarkable impact on the Canadian media landscape in its short time in operation. So in all our conversations around the media math and public policy forum process, the topic of the CBC emerges quickly and with passion in every conversation. And in a moment, I want to talk about the role the CBC plays in the broader media ecosystem and how we might sort of blue sky reimagine what the role of the public broadcaster is in the digital age. But first, I want to step back a little bit and get each of your impressions on the state of journalism in which CBC currently operates. Before I get into that, I just want to note, uh, lest anyone think that this is terribly rude and we're speaking behind their backs without uh, them having the chance, this was to be a debate with the CBC. They were invited, yes? Uh, yeah, they, they were. Okay, so that's crazy. That's crazy that all of you came out here tonight to talk about your public broadcaster and they won't come talk about it. That's crazy that I've been having a conversation about them for three years and while journalists will come on the show to talk about individual stories, they won't come and talk about the CBC itself. We want to have that conversation in this country. It's not just people calling for their death and destruction. It's people who care about the CBC and, and want to talk about how it should change. And it's just bonkers 
that they refuse to engage us and they will not participate in this forum that we're all having tonight. So that's, that has to be noted. What is the landscape? It's bad. It's about as bad as you can imagine. Sometimes we'll, we'll, a story will come our way at Canada Land about public court documents or some in, incredibly strange occurrence that happened in a public forum or at a city council. And our first question is, how did the press miss that? That stuff that would have gotten reported before is slipping through the cracks because reporters are just not there because we have fewer reporters than we than, than in, in, in modern memory. We are also seeing an attack on the press. We are seeing things that the cops are doing and the courts are doing that I don't think they would have dared to do when we had a stronger civic discourse through the media, when the media was respected and the power of the media. That's an important thing that is being eroded. So we're feeling the effects of this. I, I don't think it's too much to call it a crisis. I mean, Sue and Rachel, you're both part of fundamentally building cbc.ca. What was the thought process behind how it was constructed as it was constructed? We went onto the internet because people were moving onto the internet, right? And we wanted to be where people were. And if they were going to get their news there or whatever they were going to do there, we wanted to be there for them. And it was, as you can imagine, highly contentious inside the CBC because the CBC does not and has never really had excess money. As I recall, CBC.ca and its um, French language equivalent were initially funded by a 1% sort of levy, a kind of a tax. On, so radio and television were both cut back 1% of their funding, which was redirected to the CBC, which was one way to do it, but didn't earn us any love from anybody else at the corporation. And so we started off, frankly, like super hobbled by that, right? And then there was a war for a long time, which you know all journalistic organizations went through, all the newspapers went through it, all the TV stations, everybody went through it, which was what is the internet, what is it for? Um, and for the CBC, its first utility was felt to be the advertisement of its radio and television properties. And so that was a period that went on for a long time was how much was it in service to or a support to what were called media lines, the media lines of radio and television, versus how much was it a destination or an end in and of itself. There was a vice president of radio and a vice president of television. Um, CBC.ca reported up to those people. And so, you know, it was a sort of red-haired stepchild from their perspective because they had a primary mandate and their primary mandate was the production of TV and the production of radio. It became clear to me uh, when I was not yet running cbc.ca, but when I was the deputy and my boss, Claude Gallipo, was running it, it became clear to both of us that the primary utility of cbc.ca was to be a journalistic property. That was what people wanted. That was what they wanted on the internet. That was what they were going there to try to get. And so we built cbc.ca into the number one news site in the country, which somebody told me today it still is, which is awesome. So that's the early history. So there was a little bit of a, a time lag in between Sue and I. I. I joined in 2009, and it was an interesting period to, um, to join at. CBC News as a whole was going through what was called News Renewal. News Renewal started in about 2006. <laughs> well, eventually it finished in about 2011. Yeah. <laughs> was it renewed? Hey, with me. Was it renewed? Oh. Um, Don't you remember you Peter were... Mansbridge standing all of a sudden? Well, it was, yeah, it was, it was all about the chair. <laughs> so, so the National went through this process of rethinking its uh, programming, and after all of that, it was all about the fact that he had to stand up. Um, 
Yeah, I joined at the, at the time of, of this news renewal process and, and TV and radio had, had kind of gone first. And so my job at the time was to think about how to bring the, the website closer to TV and radio and vice versa and think about how best we can serve audiences in the digital space as it was in 2009. Smartphones and also tablets were becoming uh, more ubiquitous and so it was really important that we launched mobile products as well in order to in order to meet where audiences were going. It certainly wasn't a time of plenty when I was working there. Um, obviously now there's been reinvestment from the government, which I think helps to loosen things up a little bit. What's happening now is there's a redirection of resources towards digital, which arguably is where the audience is growing most, but also from an internal point of view, focusing very much not, not on platforms and individual outlets, but, but in particular on stories and how to tell those stories across various different outlets and how best to get that information to audiences and thinking about um, what do audiences need at different times of day and making sure that the staffing is, is allocated accordingly. Jesse, you want to jump in there? I, I saw this play out from much lower down on the totem pole and um, the context that I'll, I'll provide is that one thing I was aware of was that uh, I think for around 10 years the goal was to get the digital budget as a representation of the CBC's overall budget the goal was to get it to 5%. It was around two or something? That's right. I don't know if they've got there yet. Does anyone here know if they've hit, last time I checked, they still hadn't hit 5%. So that should give you some idea. We talked a, a bit earlier about how uh, cbc.ca is the number one news site in the country. And I was a part of the, the, the digital revitalization news renewal committee, whatever, for the national, where they, they spent a fortune of money on news research that showed that just that, that you ask Canadians, what do you look to for the CBC? 86% said news. You ask them, why do you go to cbc.ca? They said news. If you go to cbc.ca, you get ads for Heartland and Mr. D. And I don't know, uh, last time I checked that was still the case, but it, it, it took like four clicks to get to the news. Everybody was going there for news, so it tells you a little bit about how digital was perceived. It was a promotional vehicle for everybody's, uh, for these high budget shows, which enjoyed audiences that were, I think, a fraction of what CBC.ca was getting on any That's given right. day. <laughs> You're giving me terrible, terrible flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> So it was, it was uh, a little bit appalling for uh, people who were pushing from within for please invest in digital, please smarten up and listen to some of the younger voices about digital, when after years of being ignored, the cutbacks were sold to Canadians as digital renewal. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, the gobbledygook and the digital jargon that accompanied uh, some really awful cutbacks, which really cut limbs off of the news service, were presented to Canadians as, well, no, this is, this is how we're getting leaner and, and embracing this digital future. A big piece of the, the digital, the conversation about CBC in the digital space has been about the way CBC Digital is, mon is monetizing traffic in the digital space and buying in to ad markets. Stephen, you've written about this and the impact this has on a digital organization like iPolitics. Can you explain what that effect is and what that means? It's the biggest newspaper in Canada, really. I find that that raises all kinds of questions, and I'm kind of freaked out by the way that CBC management doesn't really want to engage with those questions beyond saying, well, our mandate is to serve Canadians, and we're doing that, and we're not really, A, we don't think we're affecting uh, other companies, and B, if we are, anyway, never mind. So I think they have to be affecting their competitors, such as iPolitics, and all of the newspapers and websites, 
at committee this year, at parliamentary committee, at heritage committee, Jennifer McGuire, GM for News, testified that only 1% of their revenue comes from digital advertising, which would put it somewhere around like $6 million out of $600 million. And I'm thinking, well, if that's true, then you're giving the ads away. And that's really damaging for us, right? Can you explain the mechanics of how that hurts you? Well, because we're trying to sell advertising. We're doing public interest journalism covering Canadian politics. We have a, a, a staff of like eight reporters, and we employ some of the best columnists in the country, like Michael Harris and Susan Delacourt and Alan Freeman, veterans, covering the committees and doing, trying to make this model that the founding editor, James Baxter, created. He described CBC as an uber predator, that CBC has seen this activity, economic and journalistic activity, and has recently started hiring web-only people to cover the Hill, uh, and they're excellent people and colleagues who I admire and respect, and now they've announced that they're going to start this opinion vertical, paying 55 cents a word, which is very good rate in Canadian opinion writing. That's excellent money. That's like my tax dollars, all of our tax dollars. To me, I think, well, for one thing, the mandate was written before the internet, So CBC has just kind of expanded into this territory. It is fulfilling the mandate that says engage Canadians and so on. But I wonder if if CBC shouldn't be asking itself or failing that, whether members of parliament shouldn't be asking CBC to consider more carefully the impact that they may be having on other players in the market. It's such a dominant force, and that's a, a conversation that CBC doesn't seem to want to have in a meaningful way. Can I like try to sum that up in, in an analogy? I mean, the scale here at which digital media companies are working is so m- tiny, right? So you've got eight people on staff, we've got six. That's like, like the staff of a burger shop. So you're opening up a burger shop and trying to make a good burger, and you got your eight people selling burgers, and then as soon as people start showing up to buy your burgers, the CBC opens a burger shop across the street, but they've got a billion dollars from the government, so they're selling burgers for 10 cents. Yeah. And maybe and we they're not have... as good. Our burgers are better. <laughs> or maybe people... It's subjective. Maybe yeah. it's nice to have two kinds of burgers. Should I say something nice about the CBC? No. <laughs> I'm going to... Okay. Who watched the Tragically Hip concert? Some hands. Um, I'm not going to say that it united the country. Or we, like, it united some people in the country, okay? But that was an occasion that might have been the Tragically Hip's last concert ever that a lot of people cared about. And the CBC, they broadcast it with everything they have. If you watch on television, it's on television. If you don't have TV, you could watch it on the internet. If you hate their crappy website with the display ads and the pre-roll, uh, you could, there were no ads. You could watch it on a YouTube stream very conveniently. There were no ads on the TV broadcast. You could listen to it on radio. They connected us to a cultural moment and they got out of the way. And I felt so grateful that they existed at that moment. I realized they were just doing their job for once. Like that was, that was one night where we actually had a public broadcaster. They could do that all the time. They could do nothing but that. They could do the things that nobody else can afford to do or will do, but that we all value and want them to do. I think that there's something in there that I I think should inform our conversation here about what they might be and what we want them to be. So you you were a part of the decision to 
monetize digital and to set out, sell ads in digital. Can you explain, so just why yeah. ads on TV, no ads on radio? So um, the CBC, I think, I'm pretty sure, is the only public broadcaster that has the mixed model, um, the mixed revenue model, which we used to call a little bit pregnant, right? So a little bit commercial. I don't think it's a model that anyone at the CBC particularly um, likes. I think it's a model of necessity. Certainly it was a model of necessity for cbc.ca. So yeah, I and Claude Gallipo made the decision to put ads on cbc.ca in around, I think, 2006 or 2005. Um, I would make the same decision again today if the circumstances were the same, right? We did it for two reasons, or at least I did it for two reasons. <laughs> Number one, we, we, were, we were struggling to be taken seriously inside an organization that was having a lot of difficulty not just consuming or ignoring or you know cannibalizing in whatever way. Uh, the internet, and so the easiest way to be taken seriously inside any organization is to be a part of generating a profit, right? And so we knew that if we made money, we would cost a little bit less money, we would offset our costs, and that would mean the knives wouldn't be quite so out for us as they had been, right? And the other reason that we did it is the much more obvious one, which was that the CBC had been facing fairly dramatic cutbacks since the middle 80s, right? And so the organization literally at that time, if I remember right, I think we had six uh, journalists across the country writing online news. We had six people, like that is a burger shop, right? Like that is very small. And we wanted to be able to do a better job of serving Canadians and yet the money that we were being given from the government was being less and less every year and there was no end in sight to that. And it's always been the case that no Canadian political party wants to shut down the CBC, but they all want to walk right up to the line of shutting it down. It's in their interest for it to be weak and small. And so that was what was, we were on the road to that. We were well along the road to that. So yeah, so we put ads on cbc.ca. I don't know that they have ever made a, a large, large amount of money. So to some degree, it is somewhat symbolic. But our CPM when I was there was higher um, than other similar organizations. So I don't know if there's any, if, there, if, if anybody knows that it is lower, that it is undercutting commercial properties, if anybody has a reason to think that beyond that one back of the envelope math thing that Jennifer mentioned. You can infer also from the ads themselves. They're plugged into networks and just sort of it's it's whatever gets fed gets fed onto the site and you're not seeing high quality advertising and, and so you can kind of infer that they're not selling branded packages at a premium. I, I think that you what you say makes perfect sense and within that organization that has accepted this mixed model, there's no other choice, right? I, I get that. But I want to push back on this idea that it is a matter of necessity that CBC be in the commercial well, business because they get a billion dollars plus from government, something like uh, 600 million dollars in revenues from the advertising and sponsorships, but in order to get that money, the CBC now is in the business of making content that gets clicks and gets views, and the CBC, as a result of being a commercial media company and not a public broadcaster, and that was very much the culture that Richard Sturzberg brought into place, is that we are in the celebrity business. We are in the competing with the private networks business. We're, we're trying to make big TV shows, big network-style TV shows, that gets handed down, and now they're in the reality TV business, and now they're in the lifestyle TV business. And now that transfers into online, and now you can see some of these stories that CBC is putting out that are indecipherable from BuzzFeed listicles. 
I like a good listicle. Why is the CBC doing clickbait? It completely colors everything that the CBC puts out there when it's trying to compete for advertising. The money it costs to make that content has to be deducted from the revenues. So really, like, can you not run a good media organization that is primarily focused on news for, if you just cut the ads out completely, a billion plus dollars? And would not the CBC's position against governments that would decimate it be so much stronger if the CBC was as it was the night of the Tragically Hip concert? Simply a public broadcaster that the only question they ask before putting something out there is, are we serving the people who pay us to exist? And if we didn't do this, would anyone else? But only a fraction of that billion dollars is going to news. If there are two things, and only two things, that I think are recommended through this process, and everybody should understand, this is the chance to revisit the CBC's mandate. Like, we're not gonna get another chance. It has to be from a liberal government, because if conservative government tries to make big changes to the CBC, then people who care about public broadcasting will see that, probably rightly so, as an existential threat. So it has to be, I think it has to be now. My two things that I wanna throw out there are, no ads and news first. Prioritize news, they have to do regional news coverage whether they want to or not, and you set up guidelines around that, and just get rid of the ads completely. So I think sure. it's worth underlining that a billion dollars sounds like a lot of money, and it absolutely is an awful lot of money to, I'm sure, everybody in this room and beyond. It's a um, lot of money. <laughs> but it's also worth underlining that um, CBC is one of the worst funded public service broadcasters in the world to the extent that, yes, it's got an injection of cash this year, but a billion dollars equates to about $29 per capita per year. And when you think about all of the value that you get for that, and maybe there are things that CBC shouldn't be doing, but that's actually not a lot of money when you consider that you also have to not only fund news, but you're funding transmission, you're funding the cost of getting all of this content across wide geographic spaces, um, all of these kind of fixed costs as well as programming. It's an awful lot of money to carry the burden of as well. There is one small argument in favor of some form of commercialization. I'm not actually making the argument, but I, I kind of want to note it, which is that if you don't have any incentive to focus on um, quantity of audience, right, you risk spiraling into uh, what we used to talk about as kind of like the PBS worldview, right, where you were kind of elitist and you know, you made stuff for people like yourself and it wasn't very interesting to a large audience. And I think that is why the BBC has been so uh, tremendously important, probably, well, definitely the most important public broadcaster is because they are widely loved by absolutely everybody, or maybe not widely loved, but they are viewed and used by absolutely everybody. And so there's a small argument for having some form of incentive for popularity especially, honestly, in news, because otherwise you do have a tendency to drift into inside baseball for people like you and, and away from the public. I was surprised to hear you say this earlier today, Jesse, and I, I am surprised to agree with you. So I, I agree with you. Um, but I also, I winced a little bit when there was some applause in this room because I, I have sensed um, a little bit of, uh, of, of skepticism about the CBC, and I hope that you guys are directing your skepticism um, in the right place, right? Because the problem that the CBC has is that it is massively over-mandated, right? It has a huge, broad mandate to be everything to every person, 
And again, it's been having its budget cut, its allocation from the government cut since 1985. And so for years and years, decades at the CBC, we talked about how we were watering the wine, right? We were doing more with less was our sort of internal mantra. This is why I left the CBC, right? I did not leave because I did not love it. I loved it then, I love it now. I left because it was enormously demoralizing being part of an organization that wanted to hold itself to its kind of historic um, levels of quality and service to the Canadian people and was having to do it with less and less money every year, right? And, you know, I love the internet more than anybody and I loved working on the internet, but I have to say it was an increased cost for the organization, right? So really, you know, what is the project management triangle, right? Cost, quality, and time, I think, right? And so you only have a couple of levers with which to sort of, um, you know, play here. And if you're the Canadian government, you can either increase its funding, you can lower its quality, or you can shrink its mandate. And what you're arguing for, Jesse, is a shrinking in the mandate, which I think, you know, is, is the right answer for the CBC, right? News is its most valuable service for Canadians, and it is the thing that the market will not provide as well as it could be done with a public service organization designed to do that. Can I ask you a couple of questions that I'm, I've been curious about for a while? Mm -hmm. Because I've never been present at these higher level conversations, that it seems to be accepted that the mandate requires CBC to do a lot of things that are onerous and very expensive. It's kind of a two part question. The mandate reads to me very open to interpretation. And I'm wondering how it came to be so rigidly defined. I'm also wondering if there is not, it's not reasonable to foresee as things get digitized. And I think that it is an inevitability that radio is going to be digitized, which everybody should be very alert to the fact that if the podcast CBC is putting out and the digital audio CBC is putting out has ads attached to it and everything CBC does digitally has ads to, attached to it and the industry agrees that FM radio is gonna converge with digital, that probably is gonna mean the end to radio, uh, to ad-free radio one. But to get off that digression, is there not huge savings ahead as CBC has an opportunity to divest itself from much of its terrestrial broadcast apparatus Digital is cheaper in a lot of ways. A lot of the hardware costs are going to get smaller and smaller through the years. <laughs> yes? I'm, I am, I'm so sorry that uh, I can't answer those questions. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Like, I know that you wish that you had a CBC person here who could speak to that for you, but I, I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. No, the only thing I can say is, in, in terms of the mandate, I can speak a tiny bit to that, right? Um, and, and the founding, the, the Broadcasting Act needs an update, obviously, right? And if you look um, on the CBC and the corporate, and I'm sure you have on the corporate website, there are lots of documents that delineate what the CBC is supposed to be doing. And every time, you know, as we know from our decades of cuts, every time... Um, the CBC tries to get out of any of the work that it has historically been doing, especially the stuff in the regions, right? Mm -hmm. The political representatives in that region go crazy and stop them, right? So there is a lot of But pressure. they've cut tons of regional coverage. Yeah, I know, and every time they do, they get screamed at, right? And every time yeah. there's money that comes back, and even now, someone said today, right, that uh, this new envelope of cash coming from the federal government, I gather, is going to have some kind of strings attached to that, right? We don't know. They haven't told us. Yeah. There's been yeah. No transparency. They have the money back. You mentioned earlier. Oh, they earlier, do have the money back. I thought they did not yet. I, 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 my understanding was that it's, it's already come in. There was a memo that was a secret memo that huh. had certain conditions. Stephen, you mentioned the CBC's coverage in Atlantic Canada. There's 24 jobs gone from there, uh, reporter jobs, I believe. I don't. I didn't hear anything about them coming back. Uh, Saskatchewan. There, I mean, there are cut, regional cuts, foreign bureau cuts. The the news cuts that happened during Harper. I don't know that any of that's been restored. 
So as, if I remember correctly, so we're talking about $675 million over five years up to 2021. And I believe there is a, an accountability plan, which I couldn't find any details of anywhere. It's a secret accountability plan? Well, I don't know if, I don't know if you want to look at it as a, as a secret or a conspiracy, or maybe they just haven't come up with it yet. I don't know. I think it's anyway, about the latter. They basically have talked about three different priorities for using this money. One is to restore local services, another is to uh, provide more digital services, and the other is to be um, in more international locations, often as, as so-called pop-up bureaus, which means sometimes temporary, depending on need. I have no inside knowledge into how the money is being spent or, or when, but certainly what we are seeing is a reinvestment in local at the moment. Um, just today there was an announcement about the opening of a station in London, Ontario, a lot of the, the stations that are in the works are very much focused around, I won't say digital only because I find that a bit of a derogatory term, but uh, digital service provision. And in some respects, you can argue that that is cheaper. We sort of skated over it a little bit at the beginning when we were talking about the cuts to, to the news media. But obviously, one of the, the consequences of mass concentration in the Canadian news media and also the huge amounts of, of money that's been lost for various reasons and the jobs that have been lost. Um, we're seeing a lot of newspapers themselves closing, and in some cases that means that there is no coverage in a, in a town or in a region, and, and so often it's incumbent on the CBC to fill that gap. Before we turn to the audience here, I just want to turn a little bit to what we all think the public broadcaster could and should be in the digital space. So the 1991 Broadcasting Act was mentioned a couple of times, it's actually, it's incredibly broad, right? It's actually not a very specific list of things that have forced a structure on the organization. So the opening is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation is the national public broadcaster, should provide radio and television services incorporating a wide range of programming that informs, enlightens, and entertains. So there's some subclause that say other mediums as they become relevant could, should be leveraged, right? So the internet would be that but informs, enlightens, and entertains has been the sort of broad sweeping statement for the various lines of, the, of CBC operation. I think the heritage minister is saying everything's on the table right now. I think there is a mandate for structural change inside our cultural and media funding and regulatory ecosystem in Canada. When we're building this from scratch now for a digital world, what would it look like? So I think that CBC still has a very important role as a creator of original content, in particular news and information that helps to enlighten, inform Canadians about issues that are, are of significance, um, as well as helping to facilitate conversations. We talked about journalism as an enforcer of democracy earlier on, and I think that aspect of public deliberation is really important. Where I would actually suggest amending or, or changing or maybe even broadening, which might frighten a few people on this panel, thinking about what is CBC's value as a facilitator of content that still serves Canadian publics? And when we got talking earlier, we were talking about the various pockets of innovation in Canada, and there are various startups that are getting going. Not all of them have the expertise that, say, Canada Land or iPolitics have, and, and not all of them have access to technology. So I kind of think that there's a couple of things that, that CBC could be doing as a facilitator. And I think the first thing is operating really as, a, as what I might call an engine of innovation. One of CBC's biggest resources is its people. There are an awful lot of people at CBC who are talented in storytelling, in digital skills, and in understanding technology. 
both in Toronto and, and around the country. So how about setting up some kind of arm's length incubator that would help people to workshop their ideas for local or national coverage, build contacts, provide access to technology, as well as giving them training on the ground, and possibly have some kind of synergistic approach where the innovation feeds back into the organization. So to use the analogy of, of teaching a man to fish rather than just giving a man a fish, you know, so having a lot of people out there who actually have those skills rather than just keeping them all within one organization. But I think also from an editorial point of view, and I think this is maybe less difficult to think about, there's a lot that CBC can actually be doing using the power of its own platforms to amplify. We talked about local a lot, and I think that, yes, there's a dearth of local coverage, but where it exists, I think that CBC can be doing a lot to link to local and hyper-local content from its own sites to provide traffic and, and consequently advertising revenue. And that, um, to be frank, is taking a leaf out of the BBC's book the BBC itself has recently been under pressure with, with the renewal of its charter, in particular from local journalism organisations, to give those organisations a bit more of a piece of the pie because the argument is that the BBC is very dominant in the local space. And so one of the things that it is doing is working closely with local publishers to actually um, recognise those publishers better than it has been doing. Um, Could the reverse also be true? That CBC editorial content could be redistributed and published by small organizations yep. in order and that have distribution channels and are innovating yeah, I mean, in the digital in the distribution all, space. I mean, there's all kinds of quid pro quos you could think about. Yeah. I mean, one other thing I would say is that I think that, and I think this is maybe a scary place for the CBC to go, but think about um, devoting space on its own platforms to curating content from from other organizations, which helps to raise awareness of those organizations and again drive traffic you know, what partnerships can be done with, with local organizations. Think about the content that the CBC creates. It creates a lot of very kind of specialist content and content that's hard to do and expensive to do. And I'm talking about things like data journalism. It's currently hiring for data journalists in Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, by the way, if anybody is interested. They create an awful lot of video and multimedia. Not all of that information and content gets used, and maybe it could be seen more widely. So not from the point of, of view of brand building, but, but from the point of view of providing access to critical information to allow citizens to make decisions. I think that you could think about making some of that uh, content available more widely than, than on the CBC's own platforms. Thinking about this was, as a sort of a former CBC manager, there's a lot in what I'm saying that gives me palpitations because uh, the questions that would be raised automatically are things about, well, what about editorial standards and what about affiliations of the organizations that you're considering helping and all the rest of it. And I think, yes, there's an awful lot of things to be worked out there. But I think that you could argue that these are all mechanisms that could continue to fulfill the CBC's mandate of serving the public, but by facilitating the proliferation of other outlets and of information that it may not have created. So I think in that respect, just to, to sum up, you know, right now the CBC measures itself on performance targets like on things like reach. How many audience members has it reached through TV and radio and online? Consider also looking at the reach and impact of working with other people. Um, and to do that, I think you need less of a focus on, on earning ad dollars and, and, and actually more secure funding that means that you're not currently chasing your tail thinking about where your next meal is coming from. Stephen, running a competitor organization now, how, how could you imagine uh, CBC coexisting in this ecosystem you're functioning in? Well, I, I like the idea uh, of uh, having CBC play some sort of a helpful role <laughs> instead of the, the feeling we have now, which is that they're trying to destroy us. I may be wrong, but it feels like 
they see the collapse of the newspaper industry as a uh, as an opportunity to expand their reach. Uh, otherwise, I don't know why they would be moving aggressively into opinion columns, which is some one thing that Canadian newspapers are doing a pretty good job of providing a wide range of opinions. Uh, although it's not, we're not as diverse as we should be. None of us on that front. I'd be delighted to see them cooperate. I'd like to see them, if they're only making $6 million a year, then they should stop advertising. Either way, I think they should stop advertising online. The BBC doesn't. Uh, I think they should have a careful thought about how much web-only content they produce. They should be filing online stories when they do radio and television stories and, and not employ people just to do online stories. If they're going to be thinking about their, their role in the ecosystem, the big newspapers used to have lots of foreign bureaus and they can't afford them and they're gone. So that's a place where I think CBC can continue to play a role. I was really sad when they, shut, uh, when they ended the dispatches program. I think ideas could use uh, an influx of money. It's, it's a great program, but it sounds sometimes like it's being run on a shoestring. So I think that some of the core things, not just regional and local coverage, but looking at uh, better doing things that they did better 10 years ago would uh, be a good place to, to start also. Sue, looking at the CBC from outside the country, yeah. what could you imagine this being? So I think you have to start with... Um, what, it, what is the purpose of the CBC, right? Its job is, is constructed sort of in anticipation of a, a kind of market failure, that there will be some forms of market failure, right? And so the purpose of having something like the CBC is to ensure that the country can be informed, enlightened, and entertained, or whatever of the phraseology that you want to use, right? It, it isn't solely dependent on the commercial, the for-profit sector, um, for that to happen, right? That said... That does not mean that the CBC's job is to fit itself in neatly around all the bits that other people don't want to do or aren't willing to do or can't make any money from, right? You can't make a service out of that, right? The CBC needs to be, and this was the entirety of my and Claude Gallipo's argument inside the corporation when we were both there, it needs to be a user-centric organization, right? I mean, it's serving the Canadian public, so its job is to think about what the Canadian public wants and then to try to give it to them to the best of its ability with the resources that it's got. So, you know, back in the day, I used to make the argument, and I would still make the argument if I were there, it needs to put the user first. It needs to think about, in the case of the internet, what does the internet user want? And so that for sure means digital-only content. Like, that's what that means, right? It includes informational graphics and sort of, you know, data that you can interact with and stuff like that. It would be nutty to only do stories that you could do for broadcast and to only do them in some sort of reversioned form of the broadcast story. Like, they're completely different medium, right? Half of its job is uh, information, right? So informing people. It's news and current affairs coverage, context analysis, all of that. I think that does include opinion pieces. You could argue it either way. But, but a, a suite of materials designed to inform Canadians. But the piece that that is missing um, is in one of the original founding documents, I always forget which one, uh, there was a line about how the purpose of the CBC was to reflect Canada and its regions to itself, right? It was to foster and to facilitate, going back to what you were saying before, to foster and facilitate a dialogue among Canadians, including about what kind of country it wanted to be and, and what was it and why was it here and et cetera. And way back in the day, I used to want us to be, I used to want the CBC to be on the internet, something that is not 
unlike what Facebook and Twitter eventually became, right? Like a platform, a neutral platform where people could come and talk and have their discussion. Because one of the beautiful things about the internet was that it, it, it made that possible where it hadn't previously. It used to be the case that you could only do that through proxies, right? Through having some people come on and speak for groups that couldn't speak for themselves. Now they can speak for themselves, so build something and get out of their way and let them do that. And I was slightly sad. I heard on Canada Land, which is my single point of connection to Canadian media these days, so everything I know about Canadian media is through Jesse Brown. Um, but I heard on Canada Land that I think the CBC had uh, shut down comments on, if I'm right, was it stories related to Native people Any and then story, later was more? Yeah, or? about Indigenous people. No comments, and that was supposed to be a three-month thing. It's still the fact. It's still the way it is. No comments. Yeah, and that made me super sad, right? And at the same time, I, I could, I, I'm sure I can easily understand exactly why that happened, right? Um, for all the obvious reasons of racism and horribleness, um, and and the internet being sludgy and full of monsters and trolls and all of that. So I can easily get why that happened, and it is very, very expensive to create real um, communities that, that, are, that are vibrant and positive and fabulous. And you know, anytime any of us reads the comments on any news story, we know that it's not the same people reading the news story. The people in the comments are like a whole world of, of themselves that has nothing to do with the brand of the paper or even the readers of the paper. Anyway, suffice to say, I do not know what the answer to that is, right? Clearly, the CBC cannot build a platform for discussion. Those platforms exist. There cannot be a, Canon, a Canadian specific one. Those platforms are not perfect um, for the purposes that, that I'm sort of speaking to, right? But I do think that there is something really deeply fundamental uh, in the role of the CBC. If you want to have a Canadian public, right, you have to have a, a Canadian public service to sort of bring into, into existence and to articulate and define the Canadian public. But I don't know exactly what that looks like in practice. Yeah. So fostering that civic space that might be... Letting people talk to each yeah. other, yeah. right? I absolutely agree that, especially if we get CBC out of the business of competing with new digital media, which we desperately need, we can re-envision a helpful role. And by the way, the question, what should CBC in a digital space, is just what should the CBC be? That's what we're really talking about, because that's how, how it's all moving. So the idea of only making content for one platform that that that's got like a, a year or two left on it. You're making you're making content for the internet. We all are. We're all making content for Facebook now. Let's just face it. The CBC should uh, be out of the ad business, and all of their content should be released under a Creative Commons license. Yeah. If you are building a, a media company in Canada, you should be able to use CBC content, brand, include the brand, whatever, and monetize it. Monetize it absolutely. Help companies build. Uh, journalism is increasingly collaborative. Discourse media is showing us what can be done with that. Let us build with your stories. I think that they should take a leading role in building new standards for collaborative journalism. I think if uh, CBC starts to move aggressively into data journalism, there should be APIs, and they should play nicely with others and uh, make their content available. Um, I think that CBC should get out completely of the scripted comedy sitcom business, out of the scripted drama business. We have to just admit it's been a failure. They have not contributed for, this is just decades and decades, and the expenditure is insane. This interpretation that enlightening and entertaining Canadians is, well, that means sitcoms and, and cop procedurals. No, forget it. If, if the CBC, and I think it should, have a cultural mandate, it should be about 
finding great Canadian art and music and just broadcasting it, just curating and bringing us, connecting us. The fact that they're broadcasting and connecting us with uh, a lot of art and culture from outside of Canada befuddles me. I think that we need to focus their cultural mandate on, on Canadian stuff. Uh, I think that we should give them some relief and free them if we're going to revisit the mandate from the necessity to provide French language everything everywhere. I think French is like, what, the eighth language in BC that's spoken? Uh, so I think that the fact that, uh, do, they, do they still have a radio signal here in French? And, and like it's, yeah. it's, that's very expensive. So that's available digitally, uh, and, and some efficiencies can be found there. What else? Oh, yeah, get out of the celebrity business. Um, take a page from the BBC and um, present the salaries of all presenters. That should be public. You shouldn't need Canada Land to expose the fact that Peter Mansbridge gets a million point one dollars a year at least, plus like hundreds of thousands for his wardrobe budget. Adoram says $500,000 pension until he dies for a show that is like the second and third rateest broadcast every night. There's no financial argument for that salary. So um, I think that we're still in the culture that manifested Gomeshi. We're still in that culture. It's still the same people running it. We need renewal from the board, the conservative appointed board of directors of the CBC, the president who's overseen the most disastrous reign in CBC history. These people are still running the show. So none of this is going to happen if we still have those people there. So uh, we need a clean slate. That's all I got right now. <laughs> really? That's it? That's, that's all you got? <laughs> it, needn't be, <laughs> it needn't be the final word, but this is all heading towards a conclusion on a far less alarmist note than I'm comfortable with. Um, <laughs> the idea that we can sit back uh, with some reasonable certainty that this whole process is going to play itself out in a way that is advantageous to Canadians, to the CBC, uh, that is one that I, I have zero faith in. I, I, I feel that the likelihood that this larger question of uh, Heritage's uh, survey, not just of the CBC, but of the CanCon system from top to bottom, all of the same stakeholders are there with their, with their hats out. There is a very high likelihood that to our mutual detriment, there will be some sort of subsidy for legacy failing news companies that's going to come at the expense of anybody trying to start a company uh, that, that offers information to Canadians. And when it comes to the CBC, uh, what do we know from Melanie Jolie? She has said, uh, she has said that uh, CBC should be more like Vice. Yeah. She has said that quality is not a problem. The quality is not a problem. The distribution is the problem. We need to just figure out better ways of getting our content. It's never been easier to distribute content all around the world. Our content isn't traveling around the world as BBC's does because it's not very good. But the stated position of the Heritage Minister is that there is no problem with quality in the Canadian content ecosystem. So if people care about this stuff at all, if they disagree, if they agree, if they, have, if, they, if they have any opinions on this that are different than the way it is now, if they agree with me and some other people here that starting off by killing ads on the CBC or at least making sure that they don't just continue to put ads on everything, including Radio One, uh, they need to speak up. Letting this just play itself out through this committee process is no guarantee that this is going to come to uh, a good end for anybody, especially Canadians. I think you're right, that there's a, there's a moment to engage in this conversation, and I hope we did that a bit tonight. So please join me in thanking this panel and Jesse for broadcasting it. Okay, that is your Canada Land Show this week. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me. I am at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I read everything you send me and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. 
Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The Imposter is up on Wednesday. Shortcuts is up on Thursday. I make the show with Katie Jensen. Syndication is handled by Russell Gregg. If you like what we do, please support us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.